25 seconds left to play. You're listening to the Matt Wyatt Show. I want winners. This crowd is alive. Play to win the game. Wyatt from the shotgun, two backs alongside. Knock him out, John. Wyatt gets the ball. It won't be long. Wyatt back to throw. Wyatt looks. Fires toward the end zone. Passes. Caught for touchdown by Matthew Butler. Speak to They are who we thought they were. And we let them off the hook. I get out of hand. Just, just tell me I'm a jerk and shut up. Let's go scatter the West right tight. That's left. 372 Y sticks. He's The Matt Wyatt Show. He's Radio Wyatt. Well, how am I going to go to college? I'll just play football. Hey, everybody. What do you know? Let's go. It's Tuesday. I'm Matt, live in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau, go with the home team. They are your home team at Farm Bureau, local agents that you can deal with one-on-one. Sing that song. Used to think it was about that game tonight. (laughs) I still can't get over that, you know, this late in life, it finally dawned on me. That's not a basketball song. <laughs> won't be the won't be the last thing. <laughs> yeah, no, it won't. Rogers here, as you can tell. So we are all officially, officially, actively at this moment, we are in Mister Rogers' neighborhood. I later today I'm going to be parked uh, right outside and walking into and, and checking out the atmosphere at uh, Hoover Metropolitan Stadium for the SEC baseball tournament. It's just getting started. The first game of the day is going on right now, but I'm not there. I was actually earlier in the week thinking about being there right now, but a little technical issue here there. They're having a hard line internet problem over at the stadium, and so they'll get that figured out. So I'm in the normal studio, the Farm Bureau studio. I'm going to take it with me on the road later. And uh, as soon as I get done today, I'm going to hop in the car, peel out. I'm going to leave rubber streaks out my driveway as I head over to Hoover in time to get there. Uh, probably in the middle innings of the Ole Miss versus Missouri game, which will be going on later today. Right now, though, first game of the day, which is Florida versus Texas A&M, and it's 0-0. Hey, nobody there. And nobody there, Roger. And uh, this, it's, Would you feel guilty being there on a Tuesday morning at 10 o'clock? Watching baseball, kinda. Like, you, you, how are you getting away with this? Yeah, kinda. Yeah. <laughs> yes, you know, and and the thing about it is, like, you know, Ole Miss plays a little later in the day. They got to win to advance into the double elimination part of this. They have to beat Missouri today, and it's a rematch of a regular season series that Missouri took two out of three, but it was in Missouri. But those late games—that's the thing about that. So, like, I was talking to my dad, for instance, Roger, earlier this morning. And uh, it's one thing we kind of do every year. My dad and I, we meet up there in Hoover. And I mix in a lot of work. I've been doing radio there for several years. And this year, going to have some video stuff going on, uh, production stuff during the, the four days. But at the same time, too, he and I will spend time together. We'll eat together. We'll watch baseball together, stay in the hotel together, you know, and get to spend some time. And he was saying, hey, sunscreen, Matt, cause this, and, and the sun's going to be out, and it is going to be hot. He's saying that they're predicting that by Friday or Saturday, they're going to have a high of like 98 uh, there in Hoover, which means like here Sunday. also. Okay, so a little farther into the weekend. Well, you, you, you're not going to really be able to feel much difference. You'll be what, 
90 today and tomorrow, 92 yeah. Thursday, 93 right. Friday. So you see a creep going up right. with about uh, 95 for your high on the weekend. That's right. But it looks like sunshine and there's some clouds, so no rain. Yeah, no rain delays. And that, but what that means was what we were talking about is like, you, you know. what the humidity is right now? What is it? 74%. Good grief. Well, at least it could be worse. Sunscreen it, and a sweat towel. <laughs> oh, yeah, we're going to pour it out because none of us are used to it. It's first heat wave of the year. Nobody's used to this yet. But anyway, uh, it is, it's just life, this part of the country. I actually like the heat. I can't stand cold weather. I'll take 100 all day, every day, over 30. All day, every day. And different people are different. But State plays on Wednesday night. First pitch is scheduled for 8 o'clock. They almost never, you know, bullseye that start time for the late game because the early ones usually go a little longer. And so you're not going to have to deal with that extreme heat if you're a State fan. You're just going to watch them, you know, that first night. And then I can look at the bracket ahead and see what winners and losers do. I just know if State were to win that first game, they'd play 8 o'clock again. And what, like tonight, you're going to have an 8 o'clock start for LSU versus South Carolina. You know, those fans, they're not going to have to really deal with the heat. It's just sitting out there in the middle of the day. Ole Miss fans are going to get uh, kind of warm today. But, hey, whatever. We're not complaining about it. I'm, I kind of like the heat myself. Uh, Roger, let's see. Let me drop this phone number in there for you. I'm going to talk to David Murray with 24-7 Sports, Jeans Page. David is covering baseball. He'll be at the tournament this week. He's covered it for a lot of years. David actually probably remembers covering it when it was not hosted in Birmingham at Hoover Met. It used to be hosted on college campuses. If I'm not mistaken, y'all can correct me on this, but I think the first ever SEC baseball tournament, I think the first one ever was hosted by Ole Miss in like 1977 or something. It's one of the first events that David Kellum ever broadcast on the radio. And so colleges would host it there for a while. Um, Then they moved it around. I think it was 1996 or 97 they had it in like Columbus, Georgia. It went to Hoover the next year, and it's been there ever since. Just seemed to be a pretty good fit. Let's talk with David now on the Divini Equipment phone line. Divini Equipment in Madison and Jackson, your Kubota dealer. They are the oldest Kubota dealer in the U.S. That means they've been doing it better longer than anyone else. You're not in business that long if you're not doing it right. And if you haven't checked out some of the deals they're offering right now, mowers, tractors, big equipment and small, you're kind of missing out. You need to go check it out. Divini Equipment, Madison and Jackson. On the Divini phone, David Murray from 24-7 Sports and Jeans page. David, what is it? How many, this is a lot of... Um, it's a pretty good little run of covering SEC baseball tournaments uh, for you in the postseason. When's it all? When did it all start for you? What was the first SEC baseball tournament you covered? The first one would have been 1981 when I was a sports information director at Mississippi State. When back in the days when there were only ten SEC teams and the division winners alternated hosting every year a four-team tournament. So then State hosted that year, ended up losing to Kentucky. Uh, they hosted again in '83, which. Maybe one of my favorites, because even though State lost at the finals, I got to watch a freshman Will Clark and a junior Dave Magadan go against each other. And I will say this, uh, take no offense to any of my beloved Bulldog fans, but Dave Magadan may have been the best college hitter I ever saw, period. 
You, you might as well have gone ahead when by the second or third game just said, Will, they just go stand on second base. Don't even bother swinging the bat because they were just crushing the ball all over the park. Great tournament. And, you know, it's gone through so many different formats. Even I have trouble keeping up. But every time I go back to Hoover, I remember that 1990, the first year they played there, and we come down to the uh, state forces of a final game. LSU is running away with it. And the weather interrupts. And watching – Skip Bertman get get given a hot foot by Steve Polk, State's back foot backup catcher in the dugout with the help of the LSU players. One of my more vivid SD tournaments. Don't have time to go into all the details, but it was an epic moment as he turned and shouted at Ron Polk, Ron, you set this up, and Polk just kind of waved a cigar at him. <laughs> yeah, we'll have to go back into that story one day. I'd love to hear all of it. Uh, the venues, it has moved around. So so for a while the tournament was hosted on college campuses. Um, but it only didn't that only last for just a few years? Well, like I said, it went to Hoover in 90, then it went back to LSU in 91. Um, 92 it was in Hoover, I believe, then they tried they tried the disastrous split tournaments um, when they expanded to 12 teams. That didn't work out very mm. well. Albany, Georgia hosted a couple of times. And finally, just everybody recognized Hoover was the obvious situation for a lot of reasons, uh, convenience, access, parking, free parking. You can't overestimate what free parking means no question. for a tournament. But the other thing being, you've got the three most passionate fan bases of all, Mississippi State, LSU, and Ole Miss, right there within easy driving distance of Hoover. Mm-hmm. That is what has sold over the years and maintained it. In some years, Alabama and Auburn fans will turn out, but generally those three schools support it, and you're not going to find a location that does it better for those three and get it consistent. You know, it. yes, we come across as an arrogant diamond dog fan, but Mississippi State is more responsible for the creation of the SEC tournament as it is than any other program, and now it's grown into the monster that it is. Okay, David Murray on your radio right now. So, so help me with that. You've kind of touched on it a little bit here with you know talking about locations in the past. But if if I ask you to go a little deeper in explaining, just how is it that Mississippi State is largely responsible for what we have in this SEC tournament? Like, how do you answer that? Because Mississippi State showed that people will turn out and pay admission prices to watch tournament baseball in May. And do it off campus as well. I and mean, yeah, location, convenience has a lot to do with it. But give credit to Ole Miss fans and certainly LSU fans over the years. Now, back in the 90s, there was a stretch where Alabama and Auburn would pack the place out as well. But sometimes I think that was a lot of uh, Hoover businessmen folk that said, you know what, uh, I need to be out of the office for a little while today. So I think I'll just go over there and watch my alma mater play some baseball. And they probably couldn't even name who their coach was at the time. But that was, you know, still, they packed it up. So, it's a moneymaker for the conference. Now, we can also debate, is it worth a darn anymore as an event towards the NCAA tournament? I love the SEC tournament, but I have to tell you, Matt, increasingly I don't find it very useful in the big picture. Mm-hmm. But as a standalone event, there's nothing like it. And I was talking to some players. You know, all of us talk, okay, let's just go there, work, you know, scrimmage, use our pitching, get rid of NCAA plays. Mm-hmm. But, Matt, as a ball player yourself, you know what happens once mm-hmm. the clock turns on and the first pitch is thrown. Next week, heck, next game is all out the window. I just want to win this ball game. So, Bulldogs are going to go over there and play to win. Do they need to? No. I think they're safely locked into a national seat already. But that means it's a fun event because the pressure is off. Yeah, that's right. 
Well, and and the when the pressure is off, this team, David at State, has has responded to those situations pretty well over the you know. You look at the way they played on Thursday and Friday against South Carolina in the final weekend of the regular season when effectively the pressure was already off. You know, it's yeah. a, would you say it's a team that compared to some others, you look at that and you look at the fact they're undefeated in midweek games, have had an uncanny ability to focus and to just get up every time they go out there? They really have, and that's a credit to what Coach Chris Lamonis and his staff have done. They, and it's going to sound odd when I say this, but they've done it with largely a hands-off approach. I mean, when you have guys like Jake Mangum, the senior leading your team, you have so many veterans of that awful three months of 2018 and the glorious finish they had. They've seen every end of college baseball from the good, the bad, and the ugly. And the coaches know to handle this team with a light hand, and they've let the players kind of take charge of the team themselves, and the players have more than lived up to it. Uh, You know, you and I have seen the Internet message board cowboys who are bitching about losing that game and losing a chance to tie for the West or win the West, all that kind of thing. They'd won eight straight games, three straight series going in. It's just baseball. South Carolina put a really good freshman out there who was a bad matchup, and State still darn near won the ball game. Mm. So this team has turned it on every time they had to, but even when they don't play their absolute best, this is still a pretty darn good baseball team. So you know, I may quibble a little bit with Coach Lamona's comment about this may being as complete a team as anybody in the country because – there's still obvious questions in all four of the infielding positions at crunch time and defensive plays sometimes. Mm-hmm. And sometimes you never know if a guy who's lights out out of the bullpen one day shows up the next day ready to do the same thing. But when when those are your two main concerns, you have to feel awfully good about a team going into tournament time. Yep. David Murray on your radio. Y'all can follow him on Twitter, at DogsBiteMag. Um, do that if you haven't already. David, um, we have someone who listens and texts the show. His name is Jay. He lives in Baltimore, Maryland, but he's from Clinton originally. Anyway, he just texted the show just now and said he's asking how Coach Lamonis may manage the pitchers this week in Hoover, playing that late game on a Wednesday night, being the first game, and if you win, you play again at 8 o'clock the next and all that kind of stuff. What do you expect to see on the mound? He's asking the question that everybody's asking. In fact, we started asking as early as last uh, Friday, never mind Saturday. Mm-hmm. And he couldn't name a starter. Of course, they'll, they'll announce that today for sure what they're going to do as far as starting. I really expect Brandon Smith to get the start, either him or Keegan James, vice versa. State's now guaranteed of two games there. Mm-hmm. He did make an interesting comment, though. The coach, he, yes, he wants to win, but then he threw in, but we're not going to mismanage our pitching this week to win the tournament. Mm-hmm. That, that's all you need to know about how cautious the coaches are going to take this. Scott Foxhall is not going to risk Ethan Small and JT Ginn or Peyton Plumley. Even if it comes down to if you throw them out there, we can win the game. They might give them an inning or two, but they're going to try to keep them on track for next week because, as they noted, they got shorted two weeks in a row uh, with the end of the regular season there starting on Thursdays. So they really want to be careful, these guys. At the same time, you don't just tell them to go stand over there and don't do anything. They still got to throw bullpens. Well, if you're going to do that, why not throw your, quote, bullpen an inning or two at Hoover against a really good SEC opponent there? So 
I think they'll be really careful how they use the mainline guys. Mm. They'll want to get them some work, just not too much work. And it's a great opportunity, as you suggest, to get some guys who haven't had a lot of starting or relief experience, some innings out there, especially if the offense does what they should do and, you know, give you a lead to work with. Yeah. Well, and, you know, I think the silver lining on that, this is – my thinking on it, David, and I don't believe it's just like a coach speak sort of thing, you know, spinning it positive. But I mean, for a team who's wrapped up a national seed, I can't think of a better scenario than a guy like Keegan James or Brandon Smith gets to walk out there potentially in an atmosphere in front of a bunch of fans against LSU before before you have park. to do something like that. Yeah, in a regional, in a big park. You're right. Because then the pitchers have that security blanket, unless the wind's blowing out. It's a tough place to hit home runs out of. It's a, it's a park made for gap and uh, line drive, gap power, base to base kind of play, which is, suits the Bulldog offense you know, perfectly. I was talking to Tanner Allen about that, and you know, being a Theodore Alabama native, he's familiar with Hoover yeah. um, from the high school days, all that. And he says, yes, that's the kind of park he loves because he's a gap hitter and. You know, guys who can run love Hoover. Guys who have power, eh, not so much there. Although, if you stroke it well, the air tends to be a little bit dead there. Uh, you can get a ball out, certainly, to left field. Mm-hmm. Anyway, though, getting back to the pitchers, it's a security blanket in their minds. The field plays true. You get good defensive hops. So I think a pitcher is more relaxed at Hoover there. And a guy like Keegan James, who still has so much ability but has not been able to put it together since the injury and the recovery yet, I think it's a great opportunity for him to go out there and kind of get back on track himself. Uh, Brandon Smith needs the innings because he's a guy that really should contend for his role in the rotation next year. This is going to be his uh, audition for that as well. So you have all sorts of options as far as that goes. Uh, of course, the other question, Matt, in case we run out of time to get to, uh, Elijah McNamee should not play this week. Mm. They're hoping, and I repeat, hoping to have him ready for the regional, but he had a screw inserted to strengthen a crack in his foot that was aggravated when he stomped on first base after he hit the, the double in the, the Sunday game up there. Mm-hmm. So he's not expected this week, and he's still kind of questionable for next week. But if Josh Hatcher, Brad Cumbus, who's the better defender of the bunch, can do the job, I think State's still fine as far as their lineup in order for this week. Yeah. Well, and, and again, good experience for all those with the heat, David, I think a lot of state fans are really at first they might have been, you know, last week cussing under their breath, going eight o'clock with the four seed. You can't. But now that it's going to be ninety five, <laughs> they probably are thankful for an eight p.m. first pitch. You know. Uh, and if it's eight p.m., Matt, I'll give you twenty bucks because <laughs> you and I both. But even the SEC has just gotten to the point of listing TBA for the time for that late game because we all know better. Yeah. Although I'll say this, it's odd how in my history there, the earliest games do tend to run on schedule, a 9.30 game, and that's when it's truly the hottest. All my years as a photographer down mm-hmm. there, I can tell you, standing in that photo box in a morning with the sun straight above head, bouncing off empty aluminum bleachers, the morning games are the scorchers, and it's the evening games actually can t- turn surprisingly cool there uh, with the altitude, with the air getting still, get even get a little foggy out there sometimes. So, yeah, it's much more comfortable in the evenings. But, boy, when you're walking out of the ballpark at 2 in the morning and you've lost the game, have to turn around and be back there by 1 o'clock, it ain't fun. No. Well, and 
You know, right about now, this time of day, Texas A&M's up two zip, still batting in the bottom of the third. But the Florida Gators well, Florida ought to... Florida needs that game. Florida needs it bad, but I tell you, they ought to feel right at home because they're playing in front of about 100 people and <laughs> brutally hot. So, but uh, they're not playing too well right now. David, I appreciate you. By the way... I don't know if you saw um, Kendall and Aaron's projections D1 baseball, but right now they have Mississippi State as a three-national seed paired with Texas A&M Regional. Ooh. They expect the Aggies to get the last regional bid that will go to the SEC to host at LSU unless they win a couple of games here. will probably fall behind A&M. Mm. So the Aggie team you're watching right now might be the one coming to campus. You know, if State is obviously regional host and mm. more obviously wins their first round regional. So just something for fans to keep in mind. It's all projection at this point. We'll find out the 16 number one seeds on Sunday. Then on Monday, they name the eight national seeds and where everybody is uh, going in their matchups to field of 64. So a fun week ahead, Matt. And I know I'll be seeing you over there in Hoover. Yep. I'll see you there, David. Thanks, man. Talk to you soon. Talk to you. That is David Murray. Y'all follow him on Twitter, Dogs Bite Mag. He writes for them there at jeanspage.com, 24-7 sports. 3-0. Aggies over the Gators. The third inning there of the first game in Hoover. Yeah, people have already run for the shade there that first game. I'm going to just shut up about the heat. Look. It's late May, about to be June in Mississippi, Alabama, in the southeast. We know. It's hot. Y'all are like, stop talking about it, Matt. So what? (laughs) What are we going to do about it? Like complaining about the weather. Like, what are we going to do about it? Not complaining at all. Well, Familiar Face won the Ferris Trophy. Let's talk about it next here on the show in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Back. On the show, thanks to David Murray for hanging out with us on the Divini Equipment phone. Have y'all been to Divini recently? You need to go to Divini. Check them out. Big time deals on Kubota. Mowers, tractors, they'll rent it. You got a big job that you need the equipment, but maybe you don't need it long term. They will rent you what you need. And trust me, I've gotten to know the folks, Jonathan, Bruce and all of them, you need to go check them out. Nice people, kind of folks you want to do business with. You, too, can be a part of the show on the Divini phone. Here is the number. Here is the number. 995-1059. It is a 601 area code. 995-1059. Hit me up. Love to hear your voice on a Tuesday. 601-995-1059. That's right. That's the first number that the Out of Bounds Show built. Yes. Yes, it is. Thank you, Bo. Real nice of him to let us use it. <laughs> it really is. It's very kind of him. Uh, I don't know how to see. I'm trying to. I was sitting here a minute ago glancing over here at this Florida versus Texas A&M baseball game in Hoover, and I 
trying to think how many years has it been that I was going to the SEC baseball tournament. You know, the previous radio show I was on, we did it for I think seven years, and I and I think all seven, no, six of those. So we were on for seven. Yeah, but six of those years would have included doing shows at the tournament. And, of course, I'd, I'd been there before. I'd covered it some way back in the TV days, 15 years ago or more. Uh, so, yeah, I've been there a bunch. It's just a really neat thing. I might have mentioned this earlier in the week, but several years ago, my dad and I, my dad's name is Joe, Joe Wyatt. And uh, he's headed over there today, and I'll see him there a little bit later today. But several years ago, he and I sat there behind the Mississippi State dugout, essentially, or close to it anyway, for a 17-inning game that lasted until about 2.30 in the morning one night against Missouri. Stayed in Missouri. The final score was 2-1. to one. <laughs> 17 innings. Two to one. And yeah, most of the game was boring, but it was one of those games where once you stayed nine innings, ten innings, thinking something's going to happen miraculously so we see the end of this game, and it never does, you're already past midnight and you're starting to go, like, why would we leave now? Might as well stay. That's what everyone else was doing. And the rest of the world slept. Yeah, we didn't get back to the hotel until about 3 a.m. Ridiculous. That was several years ago. I've had a lot of different experiences there. It's just, too, it's always neat how you have like a certain portion of the fan bases. And, yes, State, Ole Miss, and LSU lead the way in attendance every year with their fan bases. There's been some years in the past when maybe Alabama was really good and they would bring their fans out. But for the most part, it's, it's, it's LSU 1, State 2, Ole Miss 3, some combination of those. And um, but but a lot of the same people every year go to that event from the same fan bases. Like you'll see the same Tennessee fan. They're over there right now. The same Tennessee fan sits behind one of the dugouts, wears orange, and keeps score for every game, writing it all down on a scorecard. Yep. And it's a it's a great venue for kids too. It really is. Lots of areas for them to kind of run and frolic and play, you know, out on the berm areas beyond the dugouts on both baselines at that stadium. Uh, They've built this adjacent, huge indoor facility with all kind of rides and games and, you know, refreshments and stuff right next to it. I don't know what they call that. I didn't go in there last year, but people talked about what a neat thing that was for kids. So they really have built it into a neat place. One of the, as you know, one of the stars of this uh, will be Mississippi State's star, Jake Mangum. And Jake put another trophy on the mantle. He won the C Spire Ferris Trophy. They gave it to him yesterday. It's the second time he's won it. He's He's the first player ever to win that thing twice. Yep, he won it. It's given to the best college baseball player in Mississippi. C Spire Ferris Trophy. It's named after Boo Ferris. He won that as a freshman in 2016 when he won the SEC batting title and batted like 408 or whatever it was that year. 
So he has become the first repeat winner of the Ferris Trophy. This is the baseball thing. You've had some repeats, I think, on the football deal, the Connerly, but never in baseball for the Ferris Trophy. So he leads state with a 375 batting average. You know he is the SEC's all-time hits leader in career. And he's five hits away from hitting, uh, you know, getting his 100th hit of the season. If he does it, he'll be the only Mississippi State player to ever have 100 hits twice in his career. 100 hits in a season twice, because last year he went over 100. So he's, you know, he's just full of superlatives. One of the things I was uh, reading uh, about it also, they um, you have scouts, you have coaches who decide who the finalists are. They vote on the winner, but you have a 10% vote from the fans. Jake won that fan vote pretty handily. In fact, somebody posted the numbers yesterday. I'm going to tell you what those were. This Again, this is the voting in the C Spire Ferris Trophy. Here it is. All right, he was... All right, let me back up. So the winner of the award, chosen by college baseball coaches in Mississippi and a panel of Major League Baseball professional scouts, and then they include the fan voting, all right? They call it a weighted 10% is what the fan voting counts for. A weighted 10%. What does that mean? I mean, isn't it either 10% or it's not? What's weighted mean? <laughs> uh, Mangum was the leading vote getter in the fan vote. He got 3,923 fan votes. His teammate Ethan Small got 2,273. So state fans just bombarded the fan voting in this deal. Get this, of the nearly 8,500 votes cast by fans, Mangum and Small got 70% of it. 8,500 fan votes, Small and Mangum combined for 6,200 of them, 70%. So there were some of the numbers on that. So they kind of dominated the fan voting, but Jake won that and that helped him and of course, I mean, it's just run away. I told you when they announced the finalist that he was he was going to win it. So just put another thing, another check on the career sheet for Jake Mangum. He's the first ever in the state to twice in his career win the Ferris Trophy. Yeah, he's a four-year player. A lot of the best players are here for three. He's gotten drafted a couple of times in the late rounds and each time decided to come back to school. And be interested to see where he goes this year after this uh, senior season. Of course, it's not over yet. But again, the next thing, all right? So, SEC hits leader, check. Win the Ferris Trophy, check. Next thing for him is he's five hits away from 100 hits this season, and he'll be the first Mississippi State player ever to have 100 hits in a season twice in his college career. That's next. He'll do it. Just get ready. Just a matter of when, not if. 
Send your texts to the text line at 885-ESPN. I'll get to some of them next. I'm Matt in the Farm Bureau studio. Stick around. You're listening to The Matt Wyatt Show. Whistler, that's him. Where'd you find that? Where'd you find that soundbite, Roger? I dug around online and found a story on the Tennessean which had him in there. Stupid internet. Cause see, here's the thing. I'm gonna get to the ballpark today in time to see you know most of the last half, I guess, of the Ole Miss versus Missouri game. And then right after that, we all know. Well, no, Vandy doesn't play today. Hallelujah. Vandy doesn't play today. It's Auburn, Tennessee, and then LSU, South Carolina. So we don't have to put up with Vanderbilt until tomorrow. The dang Vandy whistlers. Don't care. They don't care. They don't care about anybody. Listen to that. It's that constantly over and over and over. I'm Madam in the Farm Bureau Take studio. yourself now. Don't fool around with it. <laughs> Just want to get people the flavor. Over and over and over. And get ready. Listen, I'm telling you, listen, if you're listening to this, when Vanderbilt plays in this SEC tournament or any postseason game that is broadcast on a pretty, you know, broad scale where people care about it, get ready. Twitter is going to blow up. Seething hatred. For that sound, that constant whistling that you get from those guys. It's two of them. And then they'd both do it. He says he's been warned by ESPN, sucker punched in the parking lot, and uh, LSU fans recently uh, said somebody shoot him. (laughs) (laughs) No, no, no. Let's correct that. An LSU LSU (laughs) fan did not say somebody shoot him. An LSU fan said somebody shoot him. That's what an LSU fan said. Shoot him. Shoot him. Shoot him. Shoot him, Bowling. All the people who don't watch Swamp People, they're lost now. They, they're like, what are the, what, these guys are on drugs. Yeah, well, so what? All right, I'm Matt. I'm in the Farm Bureau studio. Farm Bureau. Go! With the home team. So the sitch, the sitch is this. Ole Miss plays the second game in the SEC tournament today against Missouri, a team that Ole Miss lost two out of three to Missouri up there. Ole Miss will be the home team in the game, though. They're the higher seed. They're a seven seed. Uh, Missouri is a 10 seed. Right now, all the projections, ESPN, everybody has Missouri as one of the last five teams into the NCAA tournament. So, I mean, Missouri is hanging on by a thread. Ole Miss is in the tournament. Missouri will be kind of desperate. Ole Miss is going to have to play well. Sometimes, though, the desperation backfires in baseball. It really does. Anyway, we'll see. That's the game. Second game. The first game of the day is going on. A&M's beating Florida. For Ole Miss, if they lose, they go home. If they lose today, they go home. If they win, however, 
they move on to face Arkansas tomorrow. It'll be somewhere around it'll be somewhere around a 1 p.m. first pitch both days. But you know, today around 1 p.m. just kind of depends. And then they'll move on tomorrow face Arkansas if they win. If you look at it from Mississippi State's perspective, they don't play today because they have a first round bye. They're the four seed in the SEC tournament. So State plays the last game of the day, usually scheduled for 8 p.m. It'll start a little later than that, most likely, 8 p.m. on Wednesday night, day two. State will play the winner of LSU versus South Carolina. They'll either play your LSU or South Carolina. And without getting too deep in the weeds, just to tell you how it's going to go, when State plays one of those two teams tomorrow night, LSU or South Carolina, if State wins, they will move on and play again at 8 o'clock on Thursday night, most likely against Vanderbilt, the number one seed. Vandy's going to you know, host the winner of the Auburn or Tennessee game. So you could have a – if State wins, you're likely going to have a State versus Vandy matchup on Thursday night. But if State loses on Wednesday night – to either LSU or South Carolina. State would then play either Ole Miss, Missouri, or Arkansas. It'd be one of those three teams. So there is the potential anyway, potential, that you could have a Mississippi State-Ole Miss matchup in a loser's game, potentially. There's that potential. (laughs) Keep saying it on Thursday. So, like, because it's a possibility, strictly from an attendance standpoint, the people in Hoover and the SEC and television and everybody, this is what they want. They want a Mississippi State versus LSU game at 8 p.m. on Wednesday night. And then they want Mississippi State versus Ole Miss in an elimination game on Thursday. That's what they want. Because the way it lined up, you're just not gonna. It's not possible for you to have a deep run in the tournament by both State and LSU. So television's gonna kind of root for Hoover is gonna kind of root for the city of Hoover is gonna kind of root for, frankly, LSU to make the deep run. Because those people will take that city over if LSU plays on into Friday. You can just and State will too. But there you go. And Florida just scored a run. It's now uh, two runs. It's now three to two. They cut A&M's lead. Let me ask you a question real quick. Serious question. And, Roger, you feel free to weigh in, too. See what you think about this. How do you judge whether a coach is good or not? All right, here's why I'm asking. You have the SEC... Uh, all tournament team and all that kind of stuff. You have you know first team, second team, and coach of the year. Okay, and they gave the SEC coach of the year to Tim Corbin of Vanderbilt. All right, so Vanderbilt, I think is number two in RPI and, and ranked like number one or number two. You compare it to Mississippi State, they're like number three in the RPI and ranked three in most of the um, polls. But Tim Corbin of Vanderbilt gets Coach of the Year when the awards were handed out yesterday. 
So a lot of people went, well, hold on. Vanderbilt's got the best team and the best players, and they were picked number one in the league this year. So, <laughs> and they finished number one. So he gets coach of the year. Whereas State has the exact same number of wins as Vanderbilt does. Their RPI is basically two and three. Yet State was picked sixth in the league in the preseason by the coaches around. And Chris Lamonis, first-year head coach, led them to 45 wins, the most ever in the SEC by a first-year head coach. And he didn't get coach of the year. But the team that was picked first, their coach got coach of the year. So is, is being a great coach about doing the most with the most or doing the most with the least? I'm just saying. I'm just asking. I had a radio interview with some guys in Birmingham yesterday and different things we you know kicked around. He's talking about Tommy Stevens going to Mississippi State to be the quarterback and all this stuff. But different things came up. We were talking about Mullen at Florida. And in the course of the conversation, I just made the example. You know, to me, the best coaches are the ones who can go to almost any situation and elevate those people around them. They can essentially do more with the least. Those are the greatest coaches, right? Isn't that the greatest measure of coaching? I mean, because anybody can win if you got all the best players, pretty so you much. Would take Saban out of the conversation of great coaches. Well, see, I don't know that I would take him out at all because, but, frankly, he's doing the most with the most. Yeah. Right? It's not like they're just sustaining. Like, for, for instance, Georgia this year is about to field a team that has just as many five-star, if not more, five-star type players than Alabama. For the first time in in 10, 12 years, Roger, an SEC team is going to have as much five-star talent as Alabama does. But to this point, Georgia has not done anything with it. Yes, they've played for championships, but they haven't won them. Alabama has. So you'd have to include the recruiting element as part of being a good coach, wouldn't you? I, I think I would. The, because because your ability to get players is part of it also. And look. Not just the plays, it's the players you got to. Nick Saban, his first year at Alabama, 2007, he did not have the best players. And lo and behold, Alabama lost to Louisiana Monroe in Tuscaloosa and lost to Sylvester Croom in Mississippi State in Starkville. So let's let's add this up. He didn't have the best players, and he lost. How great a coach is he? Well, what he is, the reason he's a great coach is because in short order, he had all the best players, loaded his roster, and they are constantly whipped into shape. They almost never underachieve, it seems like. And he's won national championships. And they play all four quarters, too, I've noticed. Yes, they do. Don't get that with everybody. <laughs> you don't. And, and so, yeah, I mean, there's an element of great coaches can do the most with the most. But, man, my hat's off to the guys who have, who don't have the best players. Who, who have to have a, lead these men. That's right, Roger. And listen, Vanderbilt, because of their situation, they have more scholarship leeway to sign players than anybody else in the SEC. They basically are playing with a different set of rules in baseball than everybody else. They really are.
But by God, let's give Tim Corbin, Corbin uh, Van, Vanderbilt Coach of the Year. Let's give it to him. Anyway, um, Ethan Small is the Pitcher of the Year and JT again, Freshman of the Year in the SEC. Hour two coming up. Stick around.